Gina Della from Pella. And let me tell you, 555 is back. Get up to five years no interest, five months no first payment, and 5% same-day order savings at Pella Windows and Doors of Wisconsin. See PellaWI.com. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. The AccuNet Mortgage Talk and Text Line is open now. Give Jeff a call at 855-616-1620. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome to the show. Uh, this is my, my only program this week. I'm on vacation for the balance of the week. It's my uh, anniversary. We're going to... Go take a little trip, just a little trip, with my sister-in-law and my brother-in-law. He's got a zero-year birthday coming up this week, so we decided to combine our anniversary and Kenny's birthday, and we're just going to take a little trip for a couple days. Um, Scott Warris will be filling in for me three of the days, and there's an early baseball game before that. So I've got three hours. And like I said, when I was looking through the show plan for today, I, I'm just convinced there's something in the three hours. You listened to all three hours. There's something that's going to honk you off. You're going to agree with a lot of stuff, but there's something that's probably going to honk you off, and that's okay. That's the best sort of shows. What a big sports weekend in Wisconsin. And it, But it does, again, underscore some, some traits of, of character, uh, human character, and, and why some people just always – don't want to look at the glasses half full. They want to look at the glasses being like nine-tenths empty. First of all, you have the Ryder Cup. Ryder Cup was huge. Not only did the U.S. win, which is very, very good, but this was a showcase. It was a Chamber of Commerce weekend for southeastern Wisconsin. Just beautiful settings. The golf course was perfect. And here's why this matters, because um, – Southeast Wisconsin is becoming and has been over the last several years an international golf destination. And when you have an event like the Ryder Cup, what you have is you have people from all over the world watch it, and then people want to play the golf course. And so what they do is they come in from all over the world for these various weekends. And from the perspective of showcasing southeastern Wisconsin, the Sheboygan area, it, it could not have been better. The weather, just like I say, picture perfect. The scenes of the holes playing across and on Lake Michigan, it just it was just absolutely perfect. You could not have scripted it better. And on top of it, the, the U.S. wins the Ryder Cup. Don't know if you saw the interview with Wisconsin Steve Stricker, who was the captain of this team, and he's He's got tears in his eyes. I mean, it was really, it was one of those things, to borrow a phrase from Aaron Rodgers that we'll talk about in just a minute, you know, who, you, you, you got to love the romance in golf. You never thought of that, but he was just, Stricker was just so, so blown away. Then, of course, you have the big Packers win last evening where the Packers staged this incredible comeback, 37 seconds left, no timeouts. They pretty much drive the length of the field. Mason Crosby hits a 51-yard field goal. And the Packers, you know, end up winning. Talk about, you know, some of the reaction to that in just a minute. But again, Aaron Rodgers afterwards, I, I just love the interview. Rodgers is like, you know, who, who's, this is, who, what's not to love? This is why the, you know, football is so romantic. And it, it's, it's the romance of football, this like last second comeback. And, you know, very, very big win for the Packers. And then, of course, the other story is the Milwaukee Brewers. Three-game sweep of the New York Mets. They clinched their third Central Division title. Now, it's been coming for a while, but, of course, you know, last week there were all these people that were wringing their hands, going, oh, this is going to be terrible. Well, the, the Brewers sweep the Mets. They, they've now, they're guaranteed that they will go on to um, play either against Atlanta or Philadelphia. The game is going to be, the first game of the National League Division Series is going to be a week from Friday. But And it's going to, they get 
the home field advantage. So that's all very, very cool. Now, when I talk about the glass being nine-tenths full, though, there's just a couple things I was noticing. First of all, last week, when the Brewers were in the mini losing streak, you know, they'd lost four in a row to St. Louis. Now, as I said, look, baseball, that's one of the great things about baseball. It's a 162-game season. Good teams go through slumps. Bad teams get hot from time to time. That's just what happens over 162-game season. I cannot tell you how many emails and texts I received from people that went along. And my point was, look, relax. They're, they're fine. They've got a 7, they've got an 8, they've got a 9-game lead. They're, they're going to win the Central Division title. They're, they're just going to be fine. I cannot tell you how many texts or emails I got from people that essentially said, you are completely wrong. This Brewers team is terrible. They're going to lose all their games. They're not going to win another game. St. Louis is going to run the table. St. Louis is going to finish first. The Brewers are going to play in that one game wild guard thing and they're going to end up losing. And, 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 and these, these were people who I think were just serious about this. And to all those of you who were just deciding to look at this, not through rose-colored glasses, but through mud-stained glasses, well, how do you feel today? <laughs> I mean, seriously, for all the, oh, they're going to lose every game. They're never going to win another game. This is just terrible. You know, relax. And it was just, you almost don't know what to say when you've got somebody that's, that's just feels that way. But I'm thinking, man, how awful would it be to kind of go through life just always expecting that every time you're going to step outside of your house, there's going to be that lightning bolt that comes down and strikes you. Now, the, the Brewers have had a great, great season, and it culminated with a big weekend and Bob Euchre Day and all oh, the sold-out house yesterday and the Brewers winning. But it, it's just a tribute to the team and stuff. And for all the people who are out there just convinced that they were never going to win another game okay don't you feel silly now i mean seriously don't you feel silly now now look i don't know you know what's going to happen two weeks from now when they go into the playoffs you know any anything can happen there but for everybody who was jumping off the bandwagon when they lost a couple games my goodness same thing true with with last night the san francisco 49ers are a very 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 good football team i think it would not be surprising at the end of the season if, at least in the National Football Conference, the NFC, if if there's four teams standing and the Packers and the 49ers are two of them. I mean, these are the, the 49ers are a really, really good team. They were playing at home on Sunday night, which is all this sort of vibed up atmosphere. They they were just excited, things like that. The crowd was going nuts, and and it was a great football game. Now I understand there were some frustrating things that happened. The special teams. Um, sort of screwed up at the end of the first half, giving that big kickoff return that brought San Francisco back in the game. I I understand that there were a lot of, in my opinion, really, really questionable officiating calls or non-calls. Like how do you, when when Davante Adams gets hit in the head by that guy, with that guy with his helmet, how, how, how could they not be in position to see that? But okay, regardless, you, you have a huge win and then Aaron Rodgers gets the ball back with 37 seconds left, drives 50 yards. Mason Crosby hits the 51 yard field goal. The Packers go home happy. So, 
last night after, after this game, and it, it's a big win. Look, and I, I understand there's things that you can criticize. Oh, my gosh, they blew the lead. Oh, my gosh, the second special teams failed. All right, I, I understand all that. But the bottom line is they beat a really, really good football team. They beat them in a hostile environment on the road under the as much pressure as you could possibly be, and they ended up winning. And so I'm looking, and I always like to do this because, again, it's I just don't understand the mindset of some people. I'm reading some of the comments about some of the stories that are out there. You know, the, the stories reporting on the game. There's all these comments. This Packers team sucks. I can't believe the defense. They're awful. This was terrible. One after another. Oh, they're not going to win. Honest to goodness, they're not going to win another game. They were lucky. And I'm sitting there thinking, what did you just see? Why, why can't you be just happy and thrilled it was a close game. It was a back-and-forth game between two really, really good teams, and the Packers came out on top. They made the clutch plays when they had to. And, and yes, are, are there things that you know maybe they can correct and things like that? But it was just amazing. And, and go back and look at some of the comments on some of these websites from people, and it's it's like they're getting ready to jump off a cliff because the Packers beat San Francisco 30-28. to 28. Oh, this was this is just terrible. I'm thinking, my goodness gracious, this what a great sports weekend. Yes, for everybody who thought the Brewers were never going to win another game. Well, you were wrong. For everybody who thinks the Packers, oh, this is a terrible Packers team, etc. Can't you enjoy this huge, huge victory? And for people, whether you're a golf fan or not, the Ryder Cup in southeastern Wisconsin. What an incredible experience. So lots of stuff to be really happy about if you're a Wisconsin sports fan. Lots of positives. And for the people who who might want to be negative, well, okay, Wisconsin got blown out by Notre Dame. If if you want to be upset, concentrate on that one. But my gosh, don't go on the internet and complain about the Packers or complain about the Brewers or complain about golf. Big, big sports weekend. Okay, when we come back, the cops threatened her what were they thinking? I'll explain. We'll discuss. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text that proves my point about that last conversation. Jeff, you are an eternal Brewers optimist. They'll break your heart this year just like every other year. <laughs> well, first. First, first of all, my, my self-image isn't that tied up with sports. I, I root for the Bucks, I root for the Packers, I, I root for the Brewers. But the sun comes up the next day after the season ends. But st- what's the point of being a fan if you're sitting there saying, they're going to lose, they're, they're, they're going to lose? Yes, I am an eternal optimist. I mean, yes, that's how I go through life. Yeah, I, Yes, I'm rooting for my teams. And yes, I think that this might be the right year. And I'm, will I be disappointed if they lose? Yeah. But at the same time, my gosh, what's I? Can you imagine just going through? Oh, the, the Packers—they're they're just going to get crushed this year. They're, they're going to be terrible. They're—they're going to—they're going to make it to the NFC Championship game and lose again. I just know it. Who wants to spend the next three or four months being like that? I want to spend the next couple weeks thinking, "Hey, this is a really good Brewers baseball team, and maybe for the first time since 1982, they've got a chance—a chance to get back to the World Series." That that makes you look forward to the day instead of, oh, they're going to lose. I know they're going to lose. I know something's going to happen. All right. Here is the story. We talked about this when it first happened. It was resolved the other day. Here is the deal. March of 2020, there's a young lady. She goes to Westfield High School. What happens is she is on a um, spring break trip to Florida with the uh with the school all right um she's with their high school band they return to wisconsin on march 15th earlier than planned because of of covid19 remember this is just when things are starting all right she when she comes back she's sick 
She's got respiratory problems, etc. She goes on Instagram and she says she thought that she had been infected. She puts up a couple things. She thought she had been infected with COVID-19. She'd been to hospitals. And though she tested negative, her doctor said, well, you, you, first of all, they weren't giving kids the tests at the time. This is back at the beginning of the pandemic. And then she later goes in when her condition worsens and they, they give her a test and she's test negative. But the doctor said, well, th- this isn't indicative because you, you might have had COVID and it's just not showing up anymore. You know, you might have been outside the, the testing period. So, all right. She she posts about this. Then she posts another thing showing her wearing an oxygen mask. She says she's beaten COVID. She urges others to stay safe. All right. So that's that that's the background of this. And you would think, OK, well, you know, what what's the big deal here? March 27th, a Marquette County Sheriff's Sergeant goes to her house and says that the sheriff of Marquette County had ordered that her posts on Instagram be taken down, as the sheriff didn't believe there were any confirmed cases of COVID in the county. Earlier that day, the school district administrator, in response to this, sends out a, a note that goes to all the parents criticizing the, the girl and essentially saying there's no confirm. Uh, it was brought to my attention today that there's a rumor floating out there that one of our students contracted COVID-19 while on the band trip to Florida two weeks ago. Let me assure you there is no truth to this. This was a foolish means to get attention, and the source of the rumor has been addressed. All right? So they they, they essentially call the girl a liar, and the sheriff demands that this post be taken down. And they tell her and, and, and her parents, unless the post gets taken down, we are going to charge you with disorderly conduct. We're going to give you a citation. So ultimately, the parents say, look, we, we don't want any trouble with this. You know, if the la- last thing we want is to get a disorderly conduct citation. So they take the post down. Well, what they do is, is they turn around, though, and, and they, they file a lawsuit. And they say, look, the sheriff is way out of line. And the Wisconsin Institute for Law and Liberty, which is a conservative law organization, um, you know, says, look, the, the girl has free speech rights. <clears throat> and her free speech rights don't disappear in in an emergency. Moreover, what's with the cops going out to a house and, and telling some teenager that you've got to take down this post? So our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. So the, the law firm sues, and they say, hey, they're violating this girl's First Amendment rights. This is an overstep, and it's kind of a scary sort of thing. Well, what happened is on Friday, federal judge looked at this and agreed with the, the law firm, agreed with the girl, agreed with her parents, said, look, this is you, – the law enforcement has no business – going out and telling people that they have to take down individual posts or things like that. It's not within their authority to do that. And threatening to arrest a teenager 
over something like this is wrong. Our number, 855-616-1620. That's the Accident Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I'm as pro-law enforcement as they come. When this happened, though, I thought it was an incredible outrage. I think the courts here have gotten it exactly, exactly right. You, you can't have law enforcement deciding, well, you know, the girl says she got COVID on this trip. She may have. She might not have. But wh- who is the sheriff to go out and tell her that you can't express your opinion? 855-616-1620. The federal judge agreed with the young lady and her parents. I agree with all of them. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Here's a text. Jeff, you have to admit she wanted attention. Why? Well, first of all, it doesn't make any difference. I mean, in this particular case, the First Amendment allows people to speak out, speak their minds on things if they want attention or if they don't want attention. So here you have this young lady. She goes on the band trip. She gets sick. She may have had COVID. She may not have. They, they just they, they don't know. She wasn't tested in timely fashion. By the time she gets tested, all right, she's testing negative, but that doesn't mean she didn't have it. She's got all the symptoms that are consistent with COVID, and she decides this is early on in the outbreak that she wants to go public and, and share it. Well, okay, you know, I why does she decide to do it? I don't know. Maybe you can say she's an attention seeker. Maybe you can say, hey, she's just trying to inform people that this is what happened to her and you want to be really careful. All right. I don't know what her motives were, but that's not the point of it. The point of this conversation is, don't you find it scary that the sheriff in a county decides that he's going to go out and essentially threaten a kid with being arrested if, if she doesn't take down a social media post? My goodness, do we really want the police um, now deciding to threaten people with the social media posts? And as for the school administrator who decides to call the girl a liar, well, that's a whole different story. But the bottom line of this is you know, we do have this thing called the First Amendment, and it allows protected speech. And in this case, I don't think it was even close. And by the way, the federal judge agrees with me. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. This week's sponsor for the Wagner Home Improvement Showcase presented by Great Midwest Bank is All-American Window and Door. Give them a call at 262-255-7170 or visit their website, allamericanwindowanddoor.com, to check out their new virtual showroom. That's All-American Window and Door. They are experts in making your dreams a reality. We love them as a sponsor here. It just keeps getting worse and worse on the mean streets of Milwaukee. Let me give you two stories, one of which... I don't know if it's going to make the newspaper because nowadays it seems unless it's a spectacular thing where you have like children that are murdered, murders have unfortunately become so commonplace that they rarely make the newspaper. And this, thankfully, is not a murder case. But as I always say, homicides are in some cases a lagging indicator because anytime you get shot, it is there but for the grace of God that it doesn't turn into a murder. You know, it just and anytime somebody gets shot, they could die. The, the bullet could strike an artery, you know, something like that. And it's just in many cases a tribute to emergency medicine or just dumb luck that you get shot and, and you don't and you end up surviving. OK, so here's the first story. A uh, let me read you the story and then I will tell you what jumps out at me about this. And if you are a regular listener, the same thing will probably jump out at you. A 15-year-old Milwaukee boy was shot early Monday morning, police say. 
It happened just after 1.30 a.m. in the 3700 block of West Congress Street, according to a news release from the police. The 15-year-old suffered non-life-threatening injuries and was taken to a local hospital. Police say the circumstances leading up to the shooting remain under investigation, and they continue to seek an unknown suspect at this time. That, by the way, <laughs> that that's the phrase the Milwaukee police use all the time now in their press releases. Police say the circumstances leading up to the shooting under are under investigation, and they continue to seek an unknown suspect at this time. Okay, so the good news is that in this particular shooting case, it's non-life-threatening injury. So that that's that's good. But but here's again. When I, when I read that story, once again, 15-year-old Milwaukee boy was shot early Monday morning, police say. Happened just after 1.30 a.m. in the 3700 block of West Congress Street. According to a news release from police, the 15-year-old suffered non-life-threatening injuries, was taken to the hospital. Okay, if you're like me, you know what jumps out at me at that story? No, I'm not going to open up the phone lines because you'll probably get it. What's a 15-year-old boy doing out on the street at 1.30 in the morning <clears throat> on, a, on a school night? Forget the school night. It doesn't matter if it was Friday or Saturday night. This is Sunday night, Monday morning. This is Monday morning, one thirty in the morning. 15-year-old kid out on the streets in the 3700 block of West Congress, and he shot. I do not know the circumstances behind this. Don't know, you know, what was involved here. Don't know if he was an innocent bystander. I, I don't know, but it doesn't make any difference. The kid is 15 years old. Now, I, I understand that, you know, we, we don't live in the Andy Griffith, you know, leave it to Beaver type of world anymore where you have, you know, just kind of this, you, you the, the kids come home and they have dinner and then they do their homework and then they go to bed. I, I understand it's a different world. But, I, again, I, I keep trying to relate to where when I grew up. I got to tell you something. There's no way in God's green earth at the age of 15 years old that Ann and Jack Wagner would have had their, would have had me out on the street at at 1:30 in the morning. There, there's just there is just no way that that would have happened. Now I guess maybe in the if if you do a further investigation, maybe there's going to be one or two out of a thousand explanations which would legitimize a, a 15-year-old kid being out on the street. And I'm certainly not condoning the, the shooting or anything like that. But it, it's, you know, when we wonder why some of this stuff goes on, it's because of these things. I'm sorry, just like I always say, Wagner's Rule of Life number four is that nothing good happens outside a strip club at 2 o'clock in the morning. And you can take that one to the bank. Nothing good happens to minors on the mean streets of Milwaukee after 10 o'clock at night, much less after 11 or 12 or 1 or, in this case, one thirty. It's just – and we have story after story after story like this. You had the story the other day about – I think it was the 13-year-old kid that got shot and killed that was out, again, late at night. You know, we, we always say, parents, do you know where your children are? And there's a reason for that because it is a very – the streets of Milwaukee are – very, very dangerous. I know some people don't like to hear it, but that's just what the reality is. And 15-year-olds being out at one thirty in the morning, nothing good is going to happen. All right, there, there's a related story, and Melissa had it on, on the news. And it, it's sort of funny because there's a old Vietnam War movie called Apocalypse Now with Martin Sheen and Francis Ford Coppola uh, was the director. And and at one point in time, the, the movie is about how the... 
the Martin Sheen character who plays a, a, a captain, his assignment is to to go up the river further and further, like into enemy territory in, in the boat. And there's various points in time where the, one of the big sayings is, whatever you do, don't get out of the boat. J- just don't get out of the boat. Well, all right, this isn't a boat, but on the mean streets of Milwaukee, it is more and more apparent that the message should be, whatever you do, do not get out of your car. I mean, here is the story, and Melissa just had it. Pedestrian was struck and killed by a vehicle whose driver had a gunshot wound Sunday, according to the Milwaukee Police Department. The pedestrian was possibly assisting with a disabled vehicle in traffic near the intersection of North 60th Street and West Hampton. All right? Now, Hampton Avenue is, for those of you not familiar with this area, it is a major east-west artery. If you want to avoid taking the freeway or whatever, Hampton Avenue would be one of these direct shots where you could go, well, heck, you can go from the, the lake all the way across Hampton Avenue and, and take it out to you know any suburb you want pretty much on, on the west side. It is a major east-west thoroughfare. So apparently what happens is you've got... You've got a guy who is a pedestrian. He sees a vehicle that, that's, that's broken down Sunday night. Don't know the time that this happened, but the pedestrian decides, I'm going to help the, the person who's stuck in the, in the vehicle. All right. So the pedestrian goes over there. He decides to help. What happens is uh, the vehicle... All right, so he's he's there. He, he's helping the person try to presumably get the car out of traffic or whatever. The striking vehicle, driven by a 27-year-old man, lost control, struck the victim. This would be the pedestrian who's trying to be the good Samaritan, killed the pedestrian. All right, it gets better, I guess, in a weird sort of way. The driver of the striking vehicle is found to have suffered a gunshot wound. The circumstances surrounding this incident are still under investigation. So let's set the scene here. It's 60th and Hampton, major east-west thoroughfare. There is a disabled car. So there's somebody who's on foot, sees the disabled car, tries to do what you'd like to think a lot of us would do under these circumstances, and that is to go help the driver of, of the car, get the car out of traffic or whatever. While he is doing that, you have a car driven by a 27-year-old who has just apparently been shot, who is, who is driving, loses control of the car, and hits and kills the Good Samaritan who's trying to, again, help the disabled vehicle. I, I would describe this as the wild, wild west, but that would be an insult to the wild, wild west. You know, I, I guess the lesson now is just like in Apocalypse Now, never get out of the boat. Well, well, now it's never get out of your car. Never, never go out to help somebody else because you don't know on the mean streets of Milwaukee where the next person driving along is going to have been the victim of a gunshot wound, lose control of the car and hit and kill you. And you could like to chalk this up to like freaky sort of thing. And admittedly, this is a freaky kind of thing. But at the same time, it it happens with such alarming regularity. So many people being shot and not then it, of course, relates to either them being injured or killed. Or in this particular case, some guy shot driving his car, loses control and hits and kills somebody who's doing nothing other than trying to help the driver of a disabled vehicle. Never get out of the boat. Never get out of your car. I guess never provide any sort of help if you're on the mean streets of Milwaukee because it's just flat out unsafe. 
when will this end? And the answer is, I don't think it's going to end anytime soon. And that's what's unfortunate. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Hey, the school year is officially underway, and all kids deserve a safe, safe space to reach age-appropriate milestones and overcome developmental challenges. Please join our very own WTMJ's Gene Miller all month to help raise money for Penfield Children's Center in Milwaukee. To learn more about how you can help and about the mission of Penfield's Children's Center, go to WTMJ.com. WTMJ Cares is sponsored by Gruber Law Office's One Call. That is all. All right. Maybe this is a provocative point that some people aren't going to want to hear, but I throw it out anyways. And, and my my reaction when I first saw this headline is, is it possible that the issue is more complicated than just simply saying racism? Hear me out. Here's the headline. Journal Sentinel. Black people were eight times more likely to be pulled over by Milwaukee police in 2019 than white people. New report shows. And it's a report that was issued, uh, commissioned by the um, third annual report issued by the Crime and Justice Institute. And what it found is it looked at 2019. And it says the data shows that the Milwaukee Police Department conducts traffic stops on black Milwaukee residents an estimated 9.5 times more often than on white residents and on Latinx residents an estimated 2.9 times more often. So it goes on to say then that um, as far as interviews, the field interview rate is 5.71 times higher for black than white residents. And black residents are frisked at a rate almost 10 times higher than white residents. Okay, so the conclusion is, well, there's all this racism that's going on here, and you've got black people that are being pulled over at a much larger rate than white people, and that racism is presumably the cause of it. Now, okay, work with me for here for a minute. Now, am I in a position to say that there is, is no racism out there, and it's impossible that racism can be a contributing factor to this? And the answer is no, I'm not in a position to say that. But is it more complicated than this? And and hear me out. What I mean is, if you look at the out-of-control crime rate in the city of Milwaukee, and I think we would all agree that the crime rate in the city of Milwaukee is out of control, there are areas of the city that are higher crime areas than others. Now, that's not to say that crime doesn't happen all over the city of Milwaukee and the suburbs. It, it, It does. But if you look at where the majority of the shootings are, if you look at where the majority of the assaults are, what you are going to find is it's going to be occurring in certain zip codes. That's just the reality. And in many of those highest crime areas, for whatever reasons, whether it's socioeconomic status or whatever, you you find that this is where the higher crime areas are. Not saying you're not going to get don't have the possibility of getting, you know, mugged if you're downtown on Wisconsin Avenue east of the river. But it's certainly not as likely that you're going to be shot on, like, I don't know, um, Wisconsin and Water or Wisconsin and uh, the corner of Wisconsin and Jefferson and Jackson. Could you be shot? Yes. Could you be carjacked? Yes. Absolutely. Possible. But it's not as likely as happening in other areas that many cases tend to be majority minority areas. And that's not making an overall thing saying this type of person or that type of person is more prone to crime. But it is saying that there are areas of the city that are more 
more crime prone than others. So if that is the case, wouldn't it make sense that the police are going to be more active in those higher crime areas? Wouldn't it make sense that they're going to be more aggressive in those higher crime areas, whether it's, I don't know, pulling people over, whether it's frisking people, etc.? Don't you want the police to be aggressive in those high crime areas? So, look, can I discount the idea that, okay, there's a factor of racism going on? No, I can't. But this idea that you can explain this by simply saying, well, it must be racism, I, I, I reject that. The cops are in high crime areas. If the high crime areas happen to be majority minority areas, that means that just de facto, you're going to have more persons of color that are going to get stopped and are going to get pulled over. It's not saying persons of color are more likely, more prone to committing crimes, but don't you want to concentrate law enforcement resources in those high crime areas? And and don't we want people to be uh, aggressive in dealing with that? I have, look, by the way, I, I have no doubt that if, okay, let's take... I don't know. Let, let's take a, a predominantly white portion of the city, some of the white neighborhoods or whatever. Figure, Think about the northwest side or whatever, if that's the case. And, and if all of a sudden you had an explosion of murders and you had an explosion of car th- thefts and you had an explosion of assaults, I mean, then – I would be urging the police chief to, okay, let's, let's target these areas. Let's concentrate on the areas where there is the crime instead of trying to pretend that, okay, well, we don't have areas where there's high crime rates and they're, they're largely populated in these cases, like I say, majority minority areas. We, we want the whole city to be safe. And to me, I guess it only makes sense if you've got limited police resources, you put the cops where the problems are. You have the police saying, okay, look, you know, these are the areas where there's the shootings. These are the areas where there's a problem. We want you doing your job. We want you having a, a police presence. And, and yes, you know, if that means that at least for a time, until you can get crime under control, that there's a disproportionate number of this person or that person type of person, people that are pulled over because you're concentrating in the areas where the crime is, does that mean you're racist or does that mean you're just doing smart policing? And if we're trying to get a handle on the homicide rate, if we're trying to get a handle on crime, do we have to pretend that the crime rate is the same all across the city? And to me, the answer to that is foolish. Again, this isn't suggesting that you know any particular person based on their ethnicity is more likely to be a criminal. That's not the point. The point is you have to go where the crime rate is. Is. I mean, I always used to say this when I was chasing drug dealers back in another life. They'd say, well, you know, are you aware that, you know, you're prosecuting this type of person or that type of person? I said, look, I, my job is to prosecute crack cocaine dealers. And if you show me a bunch of crack cocaine dealers that are operating in River Hills, trust me. I would be thrilled, you know, to be out there with the DEA and our drug task force and bust all these people. I, I'd, I'd love to do it. But, you know, crack cocaine, it was not the problem in 1987 in River Hills that it was, you know, in some urban areas in the city of Milwaukee where you had street gangs that were slinging crack cocaine and shooting up the shooting up the city. So you, you go where the crime is and then you kind of let the chips fall where they may, don't you? 
And so, yeah, I, I, can I discount the idea that these stop numbers might partly be based in a system that, that still has overtones of racism? No, I can't. But to, to suggest that that's the only reason this is going on, I think is naive in the extreme. Stick around. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. Okay, Melissa, got to put you on the spot here because this story, I, I'm, I'm off for the balance of the week, and by the time I'm back a week from today, this, this could all be, be solved. And so... We, we won't have a chance to look in our crystal ball and offer predictions. But during your newscast, you were talking about, the, the, about, about Brian Laundrie, the yes. guy who is the fiance the of fiance, Exactly. Mm-hmm. Now, the, the circumstances are the parents said he went hiking in this swamp kind of by their house. And there's been this sort of extensive person hunt for him. And, and he hasn't turned up. And so there's all this speculation. Did he get eaten by gators? You know, what what's going on here? Okay, what, what do you think? Do you think he's in the swamp? Do you think he went to the swamp? I don't. I don't think he's in the swamp. This sounds really bizarre, but we've been following this case pretty well, like on the afternoon show, and I've been doing a lot of reading on it. This dog, the bounty hunter, made a good point. I know this sounds weird. Okay. He said um, <laughs> something that the, the girlfriend of Gabby said that Brian Laundrie had been out in the woods before in the Appalachian Mountains. He That was kind of like his place to go. He was kind of a, a wilderness man, had lived out there by himself for a couple of months prior to all of this. So he thinks he's in the Appalachian Mountains somewhere. And I think if if Brian Laundrie is familiar with that place and he's been an outdoorsman and, and lived there before on his own, I would say that's probably a good place for him oh, to be right now okay do you think That'd be a good the, guess. Do, do you think the parents know about this and like I, threw off law enforcement by saying he went hiking in the swamp i will say this i think they know more than what they're saying i don't know how much more uh but i i wouldn't be surprised if if they had conversations with him about this uh-huh. uh maybe they don't know exactly where he's at but they they know what he did and, and where he's where so he's you don't going. think he was eaten by gators I do or anything not, like no. that i don't that's just my personal no, opinion no I, I, I was asking you because mm-hmm. i by the way i i i agree with you 100 percent. there's a um there's an interesting piece in the um new york post of all mm-hmm. places where they're, they're they're quoting people who are familiar with that area and you know who like law enforcement people and they're saying he's not in here because I don't mean to be graphic about this, but first of all, if if you're attacked by animals and stuff, there's buzzards and stuff. You you would see that. We haven't seen any. any they're saying, look, you can't survive. This is like 90% water. This is th- this would not be the place to go. The other interesting thing, and the reason I ask you about the parents is, they they haven't been involved in the search. Which I I, I mean, if it were if it were my kid. For example, even with all these things, and my kid had disappeared, and I was afraid my child was dying in this this insect-infected swamp, I'd be out there on the search team, regardless of, you know, I'd be there, and the parents haven't. The parents said, yeah, he just, he went that way. You know, I'm guessing they got some advice from lawyers telling them not to talk, not to do these things. But then that makes me question, what do they know and why wouldn't they want to say something about where their son might be? You know, if, you, if you're if you out there, a lot of times you hear parents say, if you're out there, we just want you to come home, that kind of thing. We haven't heard anything like that. Yeah, yeah. So you think, I mean, I, know, I mean, that's a theory that the parents kind of sent law enforcement you know, on sort of a wild goose we, chase. We don't know, but it, it kind of looks like that. Okay, well, I, I agree. I, I agree. I don't. I don't know where he is. I don't think he's in the swamp. See, but the problem here is, it's really, 
it's it's tough to disappear for a lengthy period of time. I mean, and if if you're really wealthy and you've got money that you've been planning this for a long time and you can squirrel money in numbered accounts in Switzerland and stuff like that that you can draw on, that's fine. But that's not this guy. This guy lived no, at home guy, with his parents. <laughs> yeah. So, I mean, it's not like you can just, uh, unless you're going to go, like you're talking about, the survivalist route and just kind of like like hang out by yourself you know, somewhere that nobody's around. and But then the question becomes, how long can you end? Well, how long to can you what do end? That? Yeah, yeah do you just continue doing that? Right, what's I, the end game? You only have so many cliff bars, right? Like, <laughs> start what's, eating right, grass. What, or... what's, what's the end game? Because yeah. inevitably you walk into town and somebody recognizes you and things like that. Okay, well, you and I are both on, if, mm-hmm. if this is solved before I come back next Monday, this is, I, I'm with you. I don't think they're going to find this guy in the swamp. Um, I, I don't know what's happened um, I'm not saying he necessarily might not have might not be dead. Might have taken his own life somewhere or something like that. But I don't think he's in that swamp. I think I kind of actually I your theory either. makes some sense to me as well. Yeah. But interesting. Mm. It's one of these sort of real. And you know, can't we, take your eyes off of it. Well, we talked about this on the program Friday, and I understand some people are, are saying they describe the story as the the missing white woman syndrome, and they say, okay, this, this was a person of color, it wouldn't get the attention, and maybe there's something to that. But but. White women go missing all the time as, as well. I mean, unfortunately, this is just something that happens. And every once in a while, you get one of these stories that captures the public's attention. This is this is one of them. And those. this it really has a lot of unique layers that you don't always see with a missing persons case, right? The parents, were they involved? You have this fiancé. They were on this grand adventure. Right. He comes home without her. I mean, there's just a lot right. of twists and, and turns. And you, and you have the cell phone. Yeah, I mean, you have yeah. the videos and stuff from the thing. It's, this, it's the, the whole kind of weird story. And you have her parents who've been very, very media friendly. And, and by that, I mean, you know, the, the media, it, it, to advance stories... You need to have people that are willing to go on camera, and they've been, and I'm not criticizing them in any way, shape, or form, I and mean, they want to find their daughter, mm-hmm. I get it, but they've been very media accessible, so they help drive the story as well. So, I mean, I, I, yeah. you, you've got all those different things, and it's, I, I think also, maybe we talked about this, we're, I think there's an element nowadays, we're, we're fascinated by these true crime stories. We, we just are collectively. And there's a large section of people online that are searching for, for clues. And there's, you know, there's uh, Facebook right. boards and groups where there, people are trying to piece together this puzzle that, you know, law enforcement is right. working on. And it's it's quite interesting. Well, yeah. So, I mean, keep keep to and, and so I think it is, again, I think it's overly simplistic just to say that, well, people don't care about other missing people and they don't get the attention. But the truth is the media does pick and choose. And there, because unfortunately, there's people that go missing Every couple yeah, days in, in this yep. this country, and and you can't, they don't all capture the public's fancy. I mean, the last one I can remember, Natalie, Natalie Holloway, Holloway, mm-hmm. and that's still, you know, that's still this issue. And, and yes, was she an attractive young woman? Yeah, that's part of what's driving it. But it was also all the other weird circumstances behind it that that brought it in. Mm-hmm. All right, stay tuned. When we come back. All right, I'm going where angels fear to tread. Is it time for Donald Trump to simply go away? (laughs) Stick around. You're listening to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right, let's go where angels fear to tread. I I said at the start of this program, by 3 o'clock, I think I'd honk off everybody, and I'm working on that. Okay, over the weekend, I've been reading the new Bob Woodward book, Peril. Uh, this is the book about the last days of the Trump administration and the first days of the Biden administration. You have perhaps seen it summarized. It, it's, 
it, it's not a great book. It's, it's kind of like popcorn. It's I'm three quarters of the way finished it. I'll probably finish it tonight. Um, it, it is a quick read. I, I don't know that it plows any sort of new ground other than it, it goes through through details. And, and one of the things, the impressions that, that comes through, and it's no secret, is what a dysfunctional mess Donald Trump was, especially after the election and his, his inability to listen to reason. And it, it talks about how Bill Barr, and who was the attorney general at the time, and I, I, I know Bill Barr from another life. He was the attorney general, the last attorney general when I worked in the U.S. Attorney's Office. And it, it, it talks about how Bill Barr and a, a lot of what I would say the grown-ups in the White House kept trying to talk the president off off this ledge and saying, look, there's there's no evidence of this. There's no evidence of that. You can't do this. You can't do that. There's nothing supported it. And for whatever reason, the president decided he wanted to side with the, the crazies, the Sidney Powells, the Rudy Giuliani's of the world and and go down this route and how the inevitable result of that was, you know, what happened at the White House on January 6th and things of, of the like. All right. Since since which since then, you know, Donald Trump has not been able to give up on the election was stolen mantra, despite the fact that there's just simply no evidence that demonstrates it. The latest example is, you know, Arizona does a complete and total by hand recount. And it's determined that Biden actually won 200 more votes. I mean, it's just one after another. And you read in peril the book, you know, it talks about all these like crazy theories that are being advanced and, and how you have, again, some of the, the adults. And these are conservative, for example, these are conservative lawyers that are just simply saying the, the, these claims are ridiculous. There, there's nothing to back them up. And the people that go on TV and throw these things out, they, they just, you know, once one is disproved, they just come up with some other, you know, cockamamie theory, none of which is supported, which isn't to say. That if we look at, I mean, some of the election procedures and, and you know, we, we did things because of the pandemic in 2020, which may or may not have fully been authorized by the law to allow people to vote. But this idea that, oh, there, there were voting machines that changed 1.1 million ballots and stuff like that, it didn't happen. That That's just the, the reality. And President Trump has, despite the fact that we're going on, you know, a, a, a year Plus, since the election, he, he's not able to get over it. So the latest example is he's down for another one of these rallies last weekend in Georgia. All right. So now Georgia, of course, was one of the states that he lost. And yes, he lost it. And then what happened is, you know, Georgia, two Republican incumbent senators both lost because Trump really didn't campaign for them. You know, after everything that happened, he was down there just talking about his personal grievances. And as a result, I think he contributed to helping the Republicans lose control of the Senate. All right, so he's down there over the weekend. Um, He does a rally at the Georgia National Fairgrounds in Perry. And the purpose of going down there is to target Brian Kemp, who is the very conservative governor of Georgia, the Republican lieutenant governor of Georgia, who is also conservative, and the secretary of state, Brad Raffensperger, who is also a very conservative Republican. But Trump hasn't forgiven any of them for not 
following his directive and essentially overturning the, the, the vote. Trump, this is over the weekend. Trump charged in comments to the large crowd that last year's contest was the most corrupt election in the history of the country. And he once again repeated, this is the description that Fox News puts out. He once again repeated his unfounded claims that the presidential election was rigged and stolen from him. And the former president urged his supporters to oust Kemp and Raffensperger in next year's election, saying the people of Georgia must replace the rhinos and weak Republicans who made it all possible. Our number, 855-616-1620. That is the Acunet Mortgage Talk and Text Line. Look, I understand people walk on eggshells here, and I understand that you can make an argument that Donald Trump never got a fair shake from the media, and he doesn't get credit for a lot of the stuff he accomplished in four years. But seriously, at this point in time, is it time for Trump to simply go away? And by having somebody... I don't know, traveling down to Georgia and demanding that, oh, we, we've got to throw the conservative governor of Georgia out of office simply because he wouldn't do what I told him to do, which is overturn the results of the election to keep me as president. At that, at some point in time, is, is it time for him to go away? And if he doesn't go away, is this going to snatch defeat from the jaws of victory because Republicans are poised to have a really, really big election year in 2022. These off-year elections, the midterms always work well for the party out of power. Biden's numbers are, are plunging in the different polls. But yet you've got Trump, who's apparently traveling around trying to urge Republicans to split and, and get rid of basic good conservative governors because, well, they, they wouldn't Acknowledge to this fantasy world that, that he won the election. 855-616-1620. He needs to go away. And, and at least if, if he's not going to be put in a box, he needs to go away. Doesn't he? 855-616-1620. Let's discuss. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. <laughs> Again, I, when, when you read these books that come out, you, you take them kind of with a grain of salt. But like I say, I've been reading the, the new Woodward book, Peril, and I'm not sure I would recommend it or not. I, but it's you, you just read this, and, and it's kind of this behind-the-scenes thing that I, I have no sense is, is accurate about. It, it, I'm sure it's accurate with the different quotations about uh, how, how President Trump got completely and totally unhinged you know, after losing the election and how there, there's just this detachment from reality, and he decided decided to, I mean, throw his lot in with this crazy small group of, of nutty lawyers who were trying to convince him, oh, we've got all this sort of evidence. And, you know, that led, I think, in, in part to some of his remarks that led to whether you hold him personally responsible or not. It's clear he didn't do what he should have done to try to, like, dial stuff down on January 6th. And now he's out on the stump. He travels to Georgia over the weekend, and, and he just... Let's beat the let's let's get rid of Brian Kemp, who is, of course, the governor of Georgia, because he didn't do what I wanted him to do. I told him not to certify those results. This this is not helpful. It is simply not helpful. 2022 is shaping up to be a great year, in my opinion, for Republicans. There's all sorts of issues to run on. But if you've got the ghost of Donald Trump, who is, I don't know, traveling and having these rallies, and people are turning up, and his purpose is simply to seek some sort of weird vindication because he refuses to accept the fact that, that he lost the election, well, what you pretty much guarantee is that the Democrats are going to be the majority party in two years. Now, again, it's not saying that Trump didn't 
didn't do good things. It's not saying that he wasn't right on some issues. But at this point in time, that Trump brand has been so incredibly tarnished that I, I don't know that you can recover. And certainly from a political perspective, if, if instead of deciding, hey, I'm going to go out and campaign against Nancy Pelosi's policies or Chuck Schumer's policies or Joe Biden's policies, if the thing is, I'm going to travel around the country and I'm going to try to settle scores because, gee, I told Mike Pence not to certify the election and he didn't do it despite the fact that there was no legal basis for him. If, if that's how this guy is going to spend the next two years, he, he's just Republicans have to just shut him down. They just have to shut him down because it's it's an act that, candidly, it was old a year ago, and it's not aging with time. Will Trump get that message? I don't know. But will the electorate get, electorate get the message, and will people stop showing up for these type of things, or at least... If you want to show up, that's fine, but stop taking it seriously. That's the bigger issue. And I know some people don't like to hear that, but that's just kind of the reality. It's time for tough love for some members of the Republican Party. Welcome back to Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. Your Milwaukee Brewers are back in the postseason after winning the NL Central for the second time in four years. Our very own Mr. Baseball Bob Euchre calls Brew October right here on WTMJ. And if you live in southeast Wisconsin, you can also listen online, on your phone, and on Alexa. It's Brew October on WTMJ, presented by Annex Wealth Management and sponsored by Boucher Automotive, Town Bank, a Wintrust company, a Wintrust community bank, and Delta Dental, Wisconsin's number one dental plan. Okay, we have a um, our phones are, are not working right now, and I don't think we're going to be able to get it fixed between now and 3 o'clock. So um, the text line does work. So I'm going to throw out the number, and we can continue to interact. But it's not going to be via the telephone. It's going to be um, via the text line. But that's okay. We can improvise. All right. Now, in the last segment, we were talking about you know Trump, who, who just he, – he needs to either change the message, and he's incapable of that, or he needs to kind of go away. I just, I firmly believe that. I don't think he's going away either. So he's going to be, in my opinion, this kind of giant albatross around the back of the Republican Party in the upcoming elections, which isn't to say, again, that he he, he didn't do good things when he was the president or whatever, but to, to go around and, and campaign against good, solid Republican elected officials simply because they wouldn't go down this fantasy land. They wouldn't go down this rabbit hole of throwing out uh, elections or, or saying, OK, well, we're going to we're going to take out hundreds of thousands of votes. I mean, just because they wouldn't do that, that's not a basis to campaign against them. But again, because he, he's so obsessed with his grievances, he can't get over that. All right. So the flip side is, OK, Jeff, why why do you say that that Biden's in trouble? And that's because. I think after this initial, okay, it's not Trump. We're, we're back. There's not the degree of chaos that we had. We can all take a deep breath. And the mainstream media, of course, loves the liberal direction of the, the president. You're starting to look at stuff, and you're seeing one disaster after another. I mean, for example, you, you start with Afghanistan. And regardless of whether or not you believe that we should have pulled out of Afghanistan or stayed in Afghanistan. Okay, regardless of where you come down on that, the, the way 
Biden got us out of Afghanistan was a complete and total d- disaster. And this idea that you're going to try to blame Trump for that, well, I mean, Biden spent the first eight months of his presidency pretty much reversing anything that Donald Trump did that he didn't like, which was almost everything. So to say, well, I, I was stuck with this Trump plan is just ridiculous, and nobody's buying this. So you've got the Afghanistan mess, and if you do not think that the pictures of all those refugees crowding through the airport in Kabul are, are going to turn their way into TV ads coming up in the next six or eight months, you're, you're very much mistaken. Plus, I think if you look at what's probably going to happen in Afghanistan when the Taliban takes over and you see the various human rights violations, it's not going to go well for Joe Biden. Then you've got the whole debacle that is going on down at the border. Um, And, of course, again, regardless of, of how you feel about our immigration policies, Unless you are one of that relative handful of people, and you know, we've talked to some of you from time to time, who believe in open borders, who believe that we any, anybody that wants to come to the United States, we should simply let into the United States. And if that means we've got hundreds of thousands or millions of people coming in who we then have to figure out how to support on our, our welfare system and things like that, unless you're one of those people who believes in open borders, I think you have to recognize that what's been going on at the border is a complete and total debacle. And there's no question that, I mean, Donald Trump, agree with him or disagree with him about building the wall and things like that, made it very clear that immigration was going to be a priority and that, you know, he wasn't going to just let people stream into this country. Biden sent completely the opposite message. And as a result, you, you saw what happened. Now, the latest information I have is they finally cleared out that refugee camp with, with Haitians that, you know, was under the bridge. But they did it by allowing tens and thousands, tens of thousands of them to come into the country where they're now going to stay, presumably for the next several years. And there's more batches of people after that. So from the whole perspective of immigration, it, it, it's a mess. And it's a mess that's happened on Biden's watch. And I think you could argue happened in large part because of the mixed messages that Biden sent. So you have that that's going on. You've got the issue of the economy. Now, so far, the economy has been doing fine, some ups and downs. But you've got inflation, which is coming. And you have the Biden administration, you know, pushing with Nancy Pelosi to try to pass well, really, probably the largest tax increase in the history of the planet. Now, I don't know if that's going to happen or not. Right now, they don't have the votes to do this $3.5 trillion human infrastructure spending plan, which is essentially just, again, it's it's cradle-to-grave government take-care-of-benefits. Uh, a lot of Democrats, moderate Democrats, aren't willing to sacrifice their political careers to advance this particular item of the agenda. So you don't know what's going to happen there. And then, of course, you've got the the whole coronavirus thing. Early on, Biden, I think, got credit for being kind of the anti-Trump on this matter. But let's let's face it. The Delta variant has not gotten under control, and the at least at this point in time, the messages coming out of the Biden administration and the FDC and the CDC have been, and the FDA and the uh, CDC have been completely, 
it's it's been all over the map. The latest example is the, this huge mess on booster shots, where you have the director of the Center for Disease Control who decides to ignore her advisory panel and back the president when the president is like way ahead of the science. There's an interesting piece of all places in the Sunday New York Times. And the New York Times, the headline is, this is no way to end a pandemic. I mean, and and it goes on to talk about how, you know, how how Trump erred by not following the advice of his medical advisors. And now this is the third paragraph. This year, it's President Biden who's gotten ahead of the FDA, announcing a plan to make COVID booster shots available to all vaccinated Americans long before the agency finished its evaluation of the nation's authorized vaccines. Rather than push back against this maneuver, the acting FDA commissioner, Dr. Janet Woodcock, endorsed it. Two of the agency's top vaccine regulators resigned in protest taking with them a wealth of knowledge and experience that will be urgently needed. And then it goes on to talk about how, you know, this undermined all the efforts. Bottom line is all these different things that were falling in place for Joe Biden are not falling in place now. They might have been two or three months ago. And given the fact that historically political parties lose seats in the midterm anyways, this None of this necessarily bodes well. Now, I understand a year is a long time in politics and a lot of stuff can happen and things can turn around. But these are these are huge warning clouds. Now, the best thing, in my opinion, that the Democrats have going for them right now is you still have that ability. Will they run against Donald Trump? And will again, even though Trump will have been out of office for two years, will it be, hey, if you elect this Republican candidate, you're just electing a a Trump clone. and, And will that that carry? Don't know, but this is, it's an amazing political time. It's fun to discuss these sort of issues, and both parties have huge, huge liabilities right now, and you wonder whether either one of the parties will be able to, I don't know, not squander the advantages that they have. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what happens next. And I've been ringing this alarm bell for the last month and a half or so. And at least some governors haven't been listening and apparently are are, are unconcerned with the real world consequences. And we've talked about this before. It's it's one thing to kind of sit down and, you know, talk in in theory about, well, I I think we should do this, and and this is a good idea. And then it's another thing for somebody to say, okay, well, what's the real-world consequence of doing this, and and what exactly is it it going to mean? Well, one of these things that is playing out right now is the mandatory vaccinations for public employees or healthcare employees or whatever. Um, New York State... For example, today is the day. Um, healthcare workers who have not received at least one dose of the vaccine are, are scheduled to be uh, fired. They're going to, unless they meet today's deadline for getting vaccinated. So, healthcare workers. So, last week, the, the new governor of New York came out and said to the nurses and the healthcare workers who hadn't been vaccinated, You're replaceable. And my comment at the time was, by who? I mean, in in what world? Now, look, I, I'm vaccinated, right? I, I believe, I think everybody should get vaccinated. I have no problem with that. I intend to get the booster shot when I'm eligible for the booster shot. So that's not the issue. But what about the people who, for whatever reason, have decided not to get it? 
All right. So can you force them to do that? And what if they call your bluff? As a practical matter. Now, again, I think it was one of the most stupid comments I've heard in a long time from an elected official who says to people in the medical industry, you're replaceable. Well, do you have any clue as to what's going on in the healthcare field right now where you have an incredible, number one, shortage of healthcare professionals, nurses, etc.? On top of that, you have a lot of healthcare professionals who are simply absolutely burned out by dealing with COVID for the last year and a half, a year and a half, and to simply tell, okay, the ones who are vaccinated are going to stay, well, all right, you know, that, that overtime that you've been working, you've been working 60 and 70 hour weeks, well, now we're going to fire 10% or 15% more of your colleagues, and we're going to expect you to work 80 or 90 hours a week. That, that's, that's just not a sustainable thing. And what they're finding in the real world is that you have a number of healthcare professionals who, for whatever reason, and I'm not arguing whether it makes sense or not, but they have simply decided that they're they're not going to get vaccinated. Story in the New York Times today, these healthcare workers would rather get fired than get vaccinated. Thousands, okay, Monday is the vaccination deadline for New York State healthcare workers. Thousands of refusers have failed to meet it. So at what point in time when you have huge vacancies um, already, how do you come in and how do you fire thousands of thousands of healthcare workers and how do you replace them? And the answer is, if you fire them, you don't replace them. There's already all sorts of hospitals that, for example, are are closing the one example that closes the place, closes its maternity ward because Three or four of the nurses that worked in the maternity ward refused to get vaccinated, so they're going to be terminated. So now the maternity ward is closing down. Again, it's it's not the merit of is it wise for people to get vaccinated. It's the reality of what happens when the people end up saying no, and are they really replaceable? And and if so, who is going to replace them? I mean, I think you're going to see a huge issue, and we've talked about this before, with the, the nursing homes, where you, you've got a lot of the nursing homes in Wisconsin in particular, that the deadline is, okay, by November 1st. Well, all right, I think by November 1st, you're going to probably still be looking at 20, 25% of the employees in nursing homes who aren't vaccinated. So you fire them Good. Okay, they're they're gone. Where where what are you going to do to replace them? And the answer is you're you're not because there's already a huge shortage. This is playing out as well. There's a story in um, out of Boston. All right, the in the the governor of Massachusetts ordered that you know any public employee you know has to be vaccinated by the middle of October, October seventeenth. So here's the story: the State Police Association of Massachusetts which interestingly, their acronym is SPAM, the State Police Association of Massachusetts, SPAM, said dozens of troopers have already submitted their resignation papers as a result of of the mandate. So they estimate right now that about 20% of state police employees are not vaccinated. Now, you don't know, and I'm not suggesting that all of those 20% are are going to quit, but already you have dozens who are, are bailing. And how, how do you replace them? You know, there's there's a shortage of law enforcement people right now. So if this, in fact, plays out all across the, the country, 
where where are the people going to come from to fill those jobs? And for people who say, well, okay, they 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 deserve this. They they deserve to be out of work if they don't get vaccinated. Well, in many cases, there, there's going to be other places that they that they'll be able to find work. Um, you know, in the case of the the state troopers, for those who are aren't eligible for retirement, you know, they'll, they'll be able to find some police department somewhere, perhaps where they're going to be able to work. For the nurses. They'll, they'll be able to find some place somewhere to work if if they need to for the home for the people that work in the nursing homes and stuff a lot of those folks tend to be like for example lower paid workers and if you're a cook in a nursing home well you can be a cook somewhere else as well and in many cases you're not going to have to be vaccinated so you you can you're flexible you can move with those different things I mean I'm just saying that it's a huge problem and you know you have to figure out how you're going to do this and i have a number of people who are texting me saying well we're behind we're 100% behind the vaccine mandate okay i get it. I, I i understand you think in a perfect world that people should be vaccinated i i don't disagree with you as the aspect that i think people should get vaccinated but my point has always been let's let's talk about this real world all right, so if you have 15% of the nurses who decide we're, we're not going to get vaccinated and we're going to retire instead and leave, and you already have an extreme shortage of nurses, all right, well, explain to me what's going to happen. Are, are we going to close the maternity wards? Are we going to close the emergency rooms? And, and then we put even more strain on the healthcare system. If you have a bunch of workers at the nursing homes who decide, Okay, we're not going to do this, but you know we can go across the street and you know we 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 do the cleaning, we we clean the rooms and stuff. We can go across the street and clean for Motel Six or whatever, and we're not going to have to be vaccinated. All right, how do you replace these workers? And of course, the answer is you you don't. This is it's the real world thing, and I think when you have politicians like the governor of New York who says, "Well, nurses are replaceable," well, okay, excuse me, governor, but you know, do do you have? You know, do you have, I don't know, do you have two, three, four, five thousand nurses that are sitting in your back room that are going to be willing to, I don't know, go across the state and serve, particularly in some of these underserved areas? I, I don't have an answer other than the fact that I am not a fan of vaccine mandates because even though I'm pro vaccine, I'm not in favor of vaccine mandates because this is one of the problems. And I, I wonder how this is going to happen. We're going to see this happen in Wisconsin coming up over the course of the next 30 days when these healthcare systems are going to have to decide, okay, how many of our employees did not get vaccinated and what do we do with those who haven't and how do we keep the doors open um, given what we've said? It, it's, it's a mess. It's a mess, but it's one of these things where you've got the theory that might sound good and you've got the reality and the two are different. Back with more in just a minute. Live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at Historic Radio City, this is the Jeff Wagner Show. And now, WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. Good afternoon, Wisconsin. Welcome back to the show. If you're just tuning in, our, our phone lines are down. So the text lines are working. So we are interacting that way. Melissa, I... I I like individual people, but occasionally I, I, I think I, I'm not fond of people in general. You know, just every once in a while. Because as a group, sometimes we collectively do things that just drive me absolutely crazy, you know. And and there's this classic example. Have you seen the story about what Costco is now doing? Oh, I well, yes. It's about the toilet paper. There, there, we're, we're back to, I mean, 
All right, back at the start of the pandemic, what happened, of course, was that people, there wasn't a shortage of toilet paper, for example. There, but people created an artificial shortage by running out and buying three years worth of toilet paper. You know, I mean, it, it was, it's true. Well, yes. yeah, it was. And then you, you'd see these pictures. I mean, people would send me pictures from these cost. You know, and if you go to Costco, for example, they sell toilet paper in. It's like thirty. 30 rolls of toilet like paper. bulk, bulk. Right, bulk, right, 30 <laughs> rolls. And they would have people that would go in and buy five or six or seven of these things. And, I mean, seriously, e- even if you're running a prison, this is a couple years' <laughs> supply yeah. of stuff. But it was. It was people for a family of four because they were so freaked out. So what would happen is then somebody would go in and say, oh, this person just bought six roll- things of toilet paper, so i got to buy five or six rolls of toilet uh, cartons of toilet paper. And they created this artificial shortage because – there really wasn't a shortage of toilet paper, but the stores, for example, they, they had their regular ordering things, and and it was more like just a backlog in getting the things delivered. Whereas, it, it wasn't like we we're going to run out of toilet paper if everybody just bought toilet paper normally. Right, normally there would have been plenty, but because people go in and do this hoarding, it was a mess. So finally, that kind of died down. And, and my sense is that there's folks. My my sense is there's folks that have that just have like pallets loads of of toilet paper <laughs> sitting in their basement. They, they and have stuff. A, a special closet that's just toilet paper. Nothing but toilet paper, paper and, and products. Th- look, don't get me wrong. I believe in redundancy, mm-hmm. and you, I get it. You don't want to run out of toilet paper, but at the same time, if if it's you and your spouse. Do you really need 300 rolls of toilet well, paper? Well, people get into this fear way of thinking, herd mentality, group mentality, and they just like, ooh, everyone else is buying it. I need to buy it and do the same thing. And it, Well, so Costco, because right now, again, there's no shortage of toilet paper, but there is there there are delay issues. You know, you've got the ports that are kind of tied up with stuff. So you've got supply chain things, mm-hmm. which doesn't mean that the Costco isn't going to have toilet paper. But it does mean that their, their regular deliveries, instead of getting a delivery every Tuesday and Thursday, it, it might be once a week in, instead, which would mean still plenty of toilet paper for people unless you go and you you buy all the toilet paper you have. So don't do that, you're saying. And well, <laughs> it, it's like the old Pogo cartoon tune. His line was, I've seen the enemy and he is us. So, But here, here's what Costco is doing, and I, I understand why they're doing it. I'm not being critical of it all, but in an earnings call last week, the, the CEO says, look, um, we, we don't want to have happen again what happened you know last year so and I, I say this because my wife was at Costco over the weekend you know and and um, they're putting limitations on items like right now you can only buy one 30 pack of, of toilet paper and you can only buy like one whatever of their roll towels and their their water and some of the cleaning related stuff they're, they're putting limits on this because they recognize, like you were talking about, there's this herd mentality. And if they don't, there's going to be another run on the thing. You know, it's interesting because when I shop, I shop at uh, Kroger Metro Market here in Shorewood, and I still feel like they're not quite up to par when it comes to, obviously, the supply chain is still backlogged a little bit. So there are still some items that just aren't available. Right. Um, you know, they, they there's still that empty spot on the shelf. But it doesn't mean there's not other products you can choose from, just not the particular brand that you well, may want. Well, so right. And, and, it's an inconvenience. And, and what did we talk? Oh, oh, it was, what was the cereal? It was like the... Uh, I, I want to say Honey Nut Cheerios. It was something. No, it was um, like checks. Checks. No, no, no. It was the. Um, oh, it, grape nuts. Yes, oh. yes. Grew comes. Through. It was the grape nuts. And and see, I, I've 
I didn't get this because grape nuts are neither grapes nor are they nuts. <laughs> that's very you know? true. <laughs> that's, that's good I, point, I, I, I didn't. Yeah. I just I just never got. It. But okay, I, I mean I understand. And and what what happened during the the pandemic is because. The, the factories were slowed down and they had shut down and things like that. What a lot of the the companies did is they started prioritizing their more popular items. And like grape nuts was, and I know there's people that love grape nuts, but grape nuts was not one of the most popular items. So they wanted to produce the biggest sellers. So there was a shortage of grape nuts. And I remember people were going on eBay and selling like a box of grape nuts. It would cost two bucks. They'd sell it for 20 bucks or, oh my or whatever. Gosh, yeah. But, but so to your point, there's going to be, I'm sure that there, there are those things that the manufacturers haven't quite caught up with some of the products. So maybe, uh, maybe you can't get, you know, the honey nut Cheerios or whatever, but you can get other kinds of Cheerios. Exactly. And, exactly. and you can get grape nuts. Well, it's interesting because like Fresca, I remember for a while, I, I do like Fresca. It's zero calories, like whatever, but that was not available for months and months during the pandemic, but it's back now. So there's that. But there's also, you know, other alternatives. You get yeah, yeah. I mean, Sprite you, right. or you, Seven you, Up. Right. Or, you make do. Yeah. Here's a text, Jeff. I went to Jimmy John's for a sub the other night. They were completely out of potato chips. I work in construction. And we're plagued by the inability to get materials right now. I feel like like it's getting worse and mm. you know and by the way and that's an interesting point because if you talk to anybody who's got a home improvement project or you talk to builders they'll, they'll tell you that's very true there's a huge thing and of course we all know about what's going on with automakers and the chips and things like that that they can't get so we're not out of it but there, there's there's plenty of toilet paper <laughs> to, to quote Aaron Rodgers. Relax. I mean, there, you you don't need to run and buy every roll of toilet paper that's on the store. There's plenty of toilet paper, and when you give in to that herd mentality, you make it worse. Mm-hmm. All right. You know, if there's if there's not Charmin, there's probably Angel Soft. So be, be flexible. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, and, and there's there's just plenty of toilet paper yes. that's there. Do not create this. All right, back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Back for more, here's WTMJ's Jeff Wagner. You knew that's how it was going to turn out during the break. I, I when we're doing the show, I always have my cell phone here, and it's it's on vibrate and stuff in case there's an emergency or something. So get this call from Chilliwack, British Columbia, Canada. Huh, and I'm thinking, I don't know anybody in Chilliwack of British Columbia, Canada. But I was curious. They left a message, listened to it during the break, and it was one of those that cuts off in the middle, but you hear, unless you press one, we will be forced to contact our legal department. And I'm thinking, okay, well, I'm willing to take that risk. We'll just kind of, we'll hit the old delete on that. But a lot of that stuff is out there. Hey, a number of people are interacting. And by the way, our our phone lines are are down, Um, but the text line still works. Um, Jeff, I work for Ashley Home Store. I sell furniture and mattresses for a living. The average wait time is 8 to 12 weeks for furniture. So if you're looking for furniture, don't get rid of your old furniture. Yeah, I, I hear that a lot um, for people who are, are looking for furniture. And, and that's th- these wait times that they're talking about. That's just for regular furniture. If you've got some sort of special order um, I, you know, you just got to be prepared to wait. And I think part of it was because so much furniture was built in North Carolina. And what happened is at the start of the pandemic, you had a lot of these furniture factories that just shut down. Well, people, people kept buying and ordering furniture. And so the backlog got more and more. But yeah, it's what does Debbie Lazica say when it comes to being on the roads? Pack your patience. This is, you know, one of those things you do have to, in fact, you know, 
pack your um, patients. Jeff, I work for an HVAC company. We had a meeting last week indicating a furnace shortage is expected this winter. We secured our supply, but many smaller places might be put out. Um, Yeah. Jeff, I've been waiting for over 11 weeks for my new garage door. It's and this is I mean, there are these these supply shortages which are out. And and again, for automobiles, we've talked about this before. The problem is, of course, the the chips. I was I've told the story before I was at uh, lunch. I emceed an event with a gentleman who runs a local car dealership. His, his name's on the door. And, you know, we were talking about, you know, everything that's going on. And, and you know, he said, look, we normally in any given time, you know, we would normally have pick a number. We'd have 80 to 90 cars on the lot to, to sell. Now we have six. And he said, it's just, it, it's, it's the only saving grace from us, from a competitive perspective, is the fact that, you know, all car dealers are pretty much in the same, you know, boat. So it's not like, gee, if you want to buy a Honda, they can't get the Hondas, but you can go over and buy the Toyotas or buy the Fords or Chevys. It's, I mean, everybody is in the same sort of boat, which is also one of the reasons why the cost, the prices of used cars are just going through the roof. I can't, I have a, I have a 2017 Honda CRV. And I cannot tell you how many emails and phone calls I have received um, from car dealers who want to buy my 2017 Honda CRV. And it's not even like come on in with a trade in. It's, you know, bring the car in and, you know, we'll, we'll buy it. Well, OK, the problem, of course, is I, I use the car. And so I it's not like I'm just going to just get rid of the car. And if I bought this, if I traded this car in or if I sold this car, I'd have to go buy another one anyway. So, no, I'm perfectly happy to let it roll. But it, it's this issue that, that's going out there, and there's just, you know, no question about it. Jeff, I ordered, speaking of garage doors, I ordered a 10 by 10 um, and 16 by 16 garage door in May. They showed up to install it yesterday, May, June, July, August. And here we are, almost September. That's a four-months um, thing. Jeff, I completely gutted my entire house and redid it. We've been sitting idle for over three and a half months waiting for some of the installers. Jeff, uh, every business and industry is affected by the shortages. You're right. Um, patience is the key word. That's just kind of the reality. It is the COVID world that we live in. And I, I do... I think it's going to get better. There's no question about it. The only question is when. Back with more in just a minute. This is Jeff Wagner. Jeff Wagner on WTMJ. All right. You can go back and check the tape. Hate to say I told you so. Actually, I don't hate to say I told you so when I'm right, but I did tell you so. But you're going to have to wait four minutes till Mike Spaulding's newscast before I get to say I told you so as well. So that's coming up in just a couple moments. Maybe you saw this, The the View, and um, <laughs> it's a, a little of The View goes a long way. Every once in a while, my wife will, will have it on in the house. She, and she, she watches the, like the first 10 or 15 minutes just to kind of watch the interaction. She really liked Meghan McCain. Meghan McCain is no longer you know on The View. But um, the, the View, which is, of course, you know, four women, the extremely 
left-wing Joy Behar and Whoopi Goldberg and then kind of a rotating series of, of others. And it's it's very, very liberal, and, and that's okay. I mean, it, it's fine. You kind of watch this, and you sometimes I think it's kind of difficult to not roll your eyes at things. But all right, it's it's been on forever. It gets uh, Barbara Walters, I think, started it um, and was very successful with this. Well, maybe you saw the drama at the end of on Friday, and perhaps you saw the stories, because what happened is the um, vice president of the United States, Kamala Harris, was scheduled to appear on The View. And right before that interview, apparently they, they had to stop. And this is this is kind of like live TV. They had to stop because two of the, the four panelists, Anna Navarro and Sonny Hostin, apparently they were told that they had tested positive for COVID-19. So I assume maybe it's, they're both vaccinated. So maybe it was because the vice president was coming onto the set that they did, that they did tests. I, I, I don't know why they did the COVID tests, but they did COVID tests and these, these two women tested positive. And so what they did is they, they, they tossed them off, off the set. They immediately left and had them quarantining, and then they kind of continued. They, they took the vice president, and they moved her to a different sort of location, and then the other two remaining uh, panelists kind of vamped for the next, like, 30 minutes or so. But it was a big story, and, and the... The follow-up was, again, here you have two people who were, were vaccinated and were these, you know, breakthrough infections and things like that. Well, the follow-up to this story, and on the one hand, it's never mind. and the other hand, it's kind of a little bit scary because the follow-up is apparently these were false positives because both of them, subsequent to testing positive, have over the weekend had three more COVID tests and they'd all come back negative. Um, indicating that they and they've got no symptoms or anything like that, and the indication is that this the one test that they got was probably again one of these false positives. That that kind of hits home, and I, I remember it's kind of in the back of my mind because when we were on our, our river cruise in France, what two weeks ago, before you can come back into this country. You need to have a, a COVID test. Doesn't matter if you're vaccinated or not. Before you can get back into the United States, you need a test within 72 hours showing that you do not have COVID. So what happened is the cruise line made arrangements. They brought a pharmacist um, onto the, the cruise ship on that Friday, and you gave them the information. They did the COVID test, and then via email you got you got the results about an hour later, and then about six hours later you got this this QR code, a link that you could go to the QR code, and then. You know, you could print this up and you could show it. You can get back into the country. Now, thankfully, everybody on the cruise ship that had to take the test passed the test. So there was no problem with that. And I wasn't really worried, except for the fact that in the back of my mind, I'm thinking, okay, what what if what if you get? Well, first of all, you know, what if if somehow you've contracted covid? Okay, that's an issue. But secondly, you know, what if this thing turns out to be this false positive? Now, what happens then is you're taken off the cruise ship and they send you to a hotel and you you're confined to a hotel for a week and you might say, "Well, you know, you're in Paris, there could be worse things." Well, but you're not in Paris really. You're in a hotel room that you can't leave. But it was always in the back of my mind about the reliability of these tests, and I tend to believe them and things like that. I'm I'm not anti-science in that regard, but I'm 
I'm thinking, my God, you know, what happens if one of these things, you know, if you get one of these false positives and then you're, you know, locked up for at least several days? And that apparently is what happened on The View. Better safe than sorry. But again, it's a demonstration that none of these testing procedures are completely and totally infallible. All right. When we come back, we'll find out what uh, John and Melissa have on their minds for Wisconsin's Afternoon News. Stick around.